0: The truth of the matter is robots don't replace jobs. They might change jobs. They will get rid of some lower skill jobs, but they will create more jobs further up the chain. Most of the companies that automate grow. They, they're not going to shrink. You will grow.
1: Welcome to the MTD podcast, I'm Giovanni Albanese with 25 years experience in engineering and manufacturing and working for MTD CNC. Today we are recording from FANUC UK in Coventry and we will be discussing how automation is the key to make the UK competitive globally and why we all need to automate. Today I'm joined by an industry leader, within the manufacturing industry, Tom Bouchier, managing director of FANUC UK. Tom's got over 30 years experience in engineering just at FANUC and an ambassador for automation. We're also joined by the one, the only, Lindsay Vickers. Her journey started in engineering from school and in 2014, she worked for a global machine tool manufacturer and now is a a host of the Swarf and Chip Show and a key member of the MTDCNC team. Welcome, guys.
2: Thank you. Thank you. What an introduction. Thanks, Gio. <laughs> well,
1: thanks for having us today, Tom. No problem. It's a Welcome. pleasure to be here in this fantastic facility in your, from your office at FANUC UK with a fantastic view over uh, the pond and the MTC manufacturing facility. Uh, but firstly, we'd like to ask you a few questions about yourself. Sure. You know. Tell us what, how you got into engineering and why. I think from a young
0: age, I was always interested in, in how things worked. Um, I think I got into, I I discuss it a lot with people now and and some people get into engineering because, you know, that they're really structured and, and, and want to understand things. I I just wanted to break things and fix them again originally. Um, so I got into it just to understand how things work. Um, so I done, when I left school, I, I went and done a degree in electrical engineering. Um, and that kind of started me on the path going down through... I mean, I worked for General Motors um, when I left school uh, for a number of years. And I was part of the design team that brought robots into their facility in General Motors. So it's always been just automation. I kind of fell into robotics, but I was always interested in electrical engineering.
1: And, you know, for, for, for the younger generation, I know, Lindsay, we've been working closely with education now at MTDCNC. What would you say to, to the future engineers? Why should they get into engineering and manufacturing or consider it at the very least?
0: I think manufacturing and engineering is, is a fantastic career opportunity now. Um, I think it, it's always, we've always had a strong history of it in this country. I think we've had some great inventors, some great engineers th- throughout history. I think we need to change the perception of what manufacturing and engineering is I think a lot of people don't see the positive sides of engineering and manufacturing. I think there is so many different career paths within it. It's such a big field. I think a lot of people just see the the the, the dirtier, non-positive side. But I mean, you can see from the facility here um, that isn't what engineering is. Engineering is is a whole raft of things.
1: I mean, it is the, at the forefront of engineering, and I mean, even now, you know, it is. Mostly associated with men in engineering, Lindsay, but obviously you—you oh. you, you, you are a woman in engineering. It's- 100% passionate about the industry
2: I am and I meet so many females and and, and more than we realise and we do a lot of videos and w- with, with the girls and kind of promote women in engineering and everything like that but I, I we are privileged enough to go around a lot of machine shops and they but to, to reach all the accreditations now and everything they are so clean so you know that's where we've got to make and tell people that manufacturing is sexy and that's what we've got to do going forward. You know, it's about using your brain. It's about being creative. It's about, you know, we're going to talk about automation and we're going to probably cover this a little bit later, but we don't want people doing the same thing every day. This is what automation is now going to cover. We want people using their brain and being creative. And that's what automation is going to cover and go forward. That's what is going to propel us.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And and we're I'm, I'm really looking forward to this debate, Tom. So mm. let's get to the nitty gritty, really. So without embracing more automation in the UK, across all sectors, regardless of the size of the company or the volumes, can we, in your opinion, remain competitive <laughs> globally in the UK? No,
0: um,
1: we have to automate. There isn't a
0: question we have to automate. I think I've said it a number of times. um, The German workers, 30% an hour more productive than we are because of automation. We're not a low wage economy. We're going to have to automate. We can't compete against countries and and people that are investing in automation when we're not. It's the only way that we're going to be able to do it is to strengthen our manufacturing output, the only way we're going to make more is to automate. It's it's simple. We have to do it. It's not a question. It has to be done.
1: I mean, i I sorry,
0: Lindsay. No,
2: I was just going to say, but how do we do that? How do we educate everybody? And, you know, what, uh, uh, what are FANUC doing to educate people? Because there are going to be people who have reservations. There are going to be people that just think, right, automation is multiple parts, same part. So what's the next stage?
0: I think we have to educate the complete spectrum of our customers, and that's what we haven't addressed to date. We've addressed the um, the input, the people coming into the industry, the apprentices, everything else. We're starting to upskill those people. But we need to make the owners of the companies, the the, the people that are holding the purse strings, aware of automation and why they have to automate. The return on investment, the, um, the cost, all, all of the information they need on how to make that decision to automate. It is a no-brainer. If you work out the, the, the lack of productivity, and, and Britain's productivity figures are pitiful. I mean, we all know that they're not good. So we need to address it. So we need to do it the whole way across the company. We do need to upskill people coming into it. We need to upskill the people in it. We need to retrain older people on how to use automation. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to make the decision makers aware of why they have to automate. The quality, output, 24-7, all of the good reasons for doing it. Return on investment can be 12, 18 months. It's not that it's years and years and years. People are still looking at automation as if it's in the millions of pounds. It's not. It depends on the size of automation you want, obviously. But it can be affordable. It can pay back. And if it is that sort of thing, we need to get out of this quick two or three year CEO cycle that some of the big companies seem to have over here, you know, we need to start looking at the business longer term than, than a three year CEO cycle, four year CEO cycle. So we need to start looking at at what is best for businesses in five or 10 years time. And unless they start looking at not just the return on investment, but where they need to be in five, 10 years time, I, I don't know how we do it. Other countries seem to look longer term on, where they are now and where they are going to be in in a period of time. And we need to start doing that.
1: I mean, you mentioned business owners, CEOs of companies, decision makers, Mm -hmm. um, and they don't think twice. I'm going to use an example. They don't think twice about automating a sliding head machine because they are, they've took it for granted now that they need that element of Mm -hmm. automation for that sliding head machine. Now, you know, they are like money printing machines and, And to guess, I don't know the exact figures, but the growth in sliding head technology within the UK has grown significantly Mm -hmm. over the last five to six years. You know, these shops are, 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 you know, popping up all the time and they're making a lot of money. Profitability, productivity, running 24-7, seven days a week, unmanned. One up. Why wouldn't they look to automate their milling machine in the same way?
0: I think... Yeah, you're right. It's because they're seen as two separate products and it's not. It's a product. I think we're trying to do a little bit here as in joining our products together. So most of the injection molding machines we're selling now have a robot attached to them. So people are buying a package. I think people want the ease of buying a package and that's where that you know, certain industries have had that steel on it for years where it has been fully automated and they just accept that it is. So we need to do it with all of our machines and start making easy bolt-on packages. So it's just you're you buying an injection molder with a robot, you're getting the throughput. That's what you're doing as opposed to buying two machines. I think... We need to make it that people see it as a single platform, that it's an easy to use single platform. People see some of these machines as being, you know, a difficult bolt on to a machine they've got, and it's not. <laughs> Most of the machine tool companies I know now are starting to do a standard robot package. Um, we're dealing a lot with Mazak at the moment, who are putting on um, a, a, an easy to load. Um, Or easy to fix robot to most of their machines and all of the machine tool builders are starting to do it and it's it's the way they're forward
1: say if I was an end user with several different machine tools different makes different manufacturers Mm -hmm. and I wanted to automate but I was concerned about the interfacing how easy would that be from yourself simple
0: Um, I mean we FANUC robots or FANUC machines can connect with most interfaces that's not a problem Um, I think all we need is a few signals from a machine. I mean it really is very simple on, on how to interface with most machines.
1: Now we're at the headquarters of FANUC UK, but FANUC is a global organization. Now can you tell us a little bit about FANUC globally and the manufacturing process of making the robots and the automation behind that and, and how really, you know, you practice what you preach?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, FANUC is one of the largest users of robots in the world. Um, We have more robots in our production facility as a single factory um, than just about anywhere in the world. Most FANUC products are built by fully automated process. We couldn't put the numbers out. I mean, FANUC can make up to 11,000 robots per month. Um, So we need to be fully automated to make that happen. So. The key to the way that Fanuc build their product is that we design the product to be automated. That's what people need to start doing in a lot of their processes. A lot of a lot of um, parts are still made where it's to suit the handmade way of doing it or or the the ma- the manual method. So you need to build automation in. You need to understand automation as you start. It can be retrofitted into anything, but if you make it that is part of your design process, then it's easy to automate. And it's then easy to keep changing. I mean, the beauty of automation is, and certainly with robots and some of the machine tools, is you can use them for future generations going forward. Bespoke machines you can't, it's for that machine and, and or for that product. And once that product's gone, that's it. <laughs> So it's it's the ease of retooling, the ease of e-using that people have to start using. And if you build that into your design process in the first place, then life's simple going forward.
1: So, Lindsay, at the back end of last year, you we were at the Fanuc Open House, which fantastic open house, and it was all about education, you know, kind of breaking down their barriers to entry. You spoke to some of the end users that attended the event, Lindsay, you know. Mm. What did you get from them? What were were their concerns? What what was holding them back?
2: Um, To be honest, it was pretty positive because everyone who was here has actually, not everybody, but the people, a lot of the people I spoke to have already started their automation journey. And so they were there to see what the next stage is, what the next level is. I was speaking to somebody who was actually a farmer. Um, a customer who's then they already use it because it's not just what I found was it isn't just machine shops that Fanica are working with of course Mm -hmm. and it's not just the manpower but it's the conditions that they're using the robotics in it was it was a lot there was a lot more to it than just Uh, labor. That wasn't the only reason people were investing in automation. It was conditions, it was loads of different variables as well that they have to invest and think about using automation in. So generally, when I spoke to people, they were very positive. Or it was um, major car companies were starting to invest, and then they were just on to the next level. So they were very happy.
1: I mean, we automatically assume, or it's already been embraced heavily with the automotive industry automation. Mm. But sometimes there's a there's a misconception that, you know, if you're doing aerospace or lower volume work, that why do I need to automate? Why Why would, you, what answer would you have to that guy? Yeah, so well, that, that was what
2: I was going to ask as yeah. well, is there's, there's a stigma almost in the industry when we speak to people. And, you know, we work with a lot of brands out there and we've just recently been out abroad with another brand who um, automates as well uh, in a slightly different way. And we, we've got to overcome this stigma of high volume. It's about... Uh, v- variation of products, flexible machining. And I think that's what we need to get across to the end user, the bosses of these machine shops to actually go, you know, where, where you were saying about a milling machine, what's the next step? Where, where do you begin? Uh, this is my work. How can you automate what I do? And also, I think the bosses of these companies are scared and they are, that they don't want to lose the faith of their their staff.
0: Yeah, no, that's certainly a key issue, um, and I think that the truth of the matter is that people that automate have been growing in size for years. Yeah. Robots don't replace jobs; they might change jobs. They will certainly get rid of some lower skill jobs, but they will create more jobs further up the chain. So most of the companies that automate grow; they, they're not going to shrink. You will grow. Um, I think the the skill level certainly needs to change, and that is. Without doubt, the key area of all of this is, is the skills area. We do need to address that. But I think getting rid of any fear of automation, I think I've said it before, the fear is not to automate. You know, it, we're going to keep falling further behind if we don't automate. We yeah. have to automate. So let's embrace it. Let's make it happen. And I think you're right. There is a lot of drivers um, for automating. It's not just manpower. Um, there is, I mean, you've got more flexibility if you've got a fully automated process than you do with, with any other process. So it's, it's actually the complete opposite to what people are perceiving. Small batch manufacturing and small companies is where it needs automation more. The big companies, the automotive companies, they're fine. They look after themselves. Yeah. JLR know how many robots. They know what they are. They know how to use them. It's the small companies further down their supply chain that need to start automating. They're the ones that need it more, and they're the ones that are not doing it. That's that's the the real are they shame. Scared of it.
2: about spending the money. Is that what it is?
0: I think there's certainly um, a degree of uncertainty. I mean, there's there's been a lot of uncertainty <laughs> in this country for the last few years. Um, so there is a degree of uncertainty, but I think if we can get the me- as an industry we've been very poor at getting the message across that you can reuse that for any other product i mean these companies have been going for generations lots of companies so there will be another product come along after this one or another whoever they're supplying further down the chain so you c- it's easier to retool with automation than it is to do it any other way so it, they need it more
2: and sorry uh, Gio, no, no, i know no, you've no, got no, some no, more no, questions no. but um what we learned from a recent visit is the fact that you know, people will go, right, okay, I'm going to invest in another machine tool, but are they maximizing the machine tool that they have? You know, we learn 8,760 hours of within a year mm-hmm. um, that are available for that current machine tool to be working. If we're automating, we're maximizing those hours that can be used. And it's just quite interesting when you think about it, Absolutely. That you know, in, uh, the, the ne- that automatically think, okay, I'm going to buy another machine, I've got an- this. But actually, are we maximizing the machines that
0: we've currently sure. got. No, I mean, it is, it's all down to, to productivity. So, yeah, you need that machine. If you're investing that much in the machine tool, you want it working 24-7. So, to actually invest that much in the machine tool to work 10, 12 hours a day yeah. seems stupid. It, mm-hmm. it, it makes no sense. So, the way to do it is to have 24-7 manufacturing. Yeah. Um and, and that's the only way they're going to survive. And and again it would make the payback on the machine faster as well, not just on the yeah. automation to go with it. So the whole payback cycle
1: is quicker. We need to be flipping, in my opinion, misconception on its head. We need to be celebrating the fact that we're automating from a CEO level because the CEO is obviously going to be more profitable, create more jobs. Mm-hmm. And from an operator level, who wants to be standing by a machine doing a repetitive task for ten hours a day, five days a week, on minimum wage? So the fact that automation is coming into the arena, we should be celebrating it. And also, in regards to the skills gap, Tom, you know, from the ground roots, you know, colleges, universities, what, what, how, how are you tackling it from there to 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 educate? the younger engineers and so it's actually just part of the complete process rather than an add-on.
0: Yeah. I mean Fanuc are now sponsoring a World Skills event. Um, and we're doing it with the MTC here in the UK uh, but Fanuc worldwide are now sponsoring a robot integration skill at World Skills. Um, the idea is we're going to send a team or a couple of teams hopefully from the UK and Ireland over to compete in Shanghai in 2021. and uh, well not to compete, to win in Shanghai in 2021. I
2: um, okay. Yeah, we've got to win.
0: Um, so we want to do it. So the idea is we're going to now send out between us, the MTC and Skills UK, we're going to send out the um, software simulation package mm-hmm. to as many schools, colleges, everybody else as we've all got on our database. We're going to do an offline robot integration skill to pick down to the number of, of uh, finalists, maybe 10, 12 finalists. Then we're going to send them a robot cell for a period of time so they can actually d- physically do it in the school and, and do the, or the college, university, do the skill. Then they're going to compete in Birmingham at the World Skills UK, and hopefully then get picked up to go and represent the UK in Shanghai. We have to get it to all schools. We have to mm-hmm. make it shown that it is easy to use, um, and that, again, it it shows there's nothing dirty about sitting on a computer doing a simulation package mm-hmm. of a complete robot installation, and people are doing that. Up and down the country in every workplace. So let's show what engineering is in that way. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Well, and and this is kind of going off topic a little bit, but my husband, he's 40. And, um, when he was, he was at school, there was no laptops, there was no Mm -hmm. computers, no nothing. So he is always going to be a step back from the later generations on IT because he was not educated from a young age Mm -hmm. to do it. And it almost seems a bit unfair on him. You know, he's a little bit older than myself, but I had laptops at school. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're doing now and what you're saying is the fact that there will be an element of a gap and it's really, you're doing your bit to educate the younger people coming through, but there will be that element of a gap of people in the middle now. And those are the people who are the buyers now who are going to now need to have their mind turned about the idea of Mm -hmm. automation. I think there's
0: two things. We need to adopt uh, the education that is into the early years to get people to use it. But um, the the process now is becoming easier to use. The people that are now creating the software and creating the programs and creating the robots, the older generation, my generation, can use them because it's something that the clever work is going on behind the scenes. So we still need to upskill to be able to use the automation and use all the equipment that's there. But it is now... Most programs now, I mean, my mum's coming up 80 now and she's still quite happy. A few years ago, I got her an iPad and she wouldn't use it. Now she wouldn't be without it. Mm -hmm. So we can use it, but the clever work is going on at Apple who are are doing all the programs behind it. It's not her being able to use it. But we do still need to address all those skills gap. Mm -hmm. But we certainly need a more consistent approach in schools. We need to bring it in at a very early age. We need to stop taking it out. It's secondary school and trying to put it back in into universities if we get primary school kids in here they come in and they'll just naturally play with all the products they'll yeah. figure out how it works they'll make it work my three-year-old granddaughter knows how somehow she's found a code to my iPad and she just <laughs> knows how to use it.
2: She knows. <laughs> but
0: then they start taking you out in secondary school so that you they don't want you to innovate. They want you to pass exams. And we've got to keep that innovation in because you can't put it back in when you become 18 again. You can't have it up until 11, take it out until 18 and put it back yeah, in again. Yeah. It's not possible.
1: So we need to get a joined up picture the whole way through yeah. education. I think that you've hit the nail on the head really in regards to that factor, um, mm. And I think that there is absolutely nothing to be scared of. I mean, why would you be scared of making more money, not, you know, upskilling your own job and getting paid mm-hmm. more as an employee? Um, And from my own experience in engineering from when I was a a student, an apprentice and working in the aerospace industry, we never really used automation. So I I totally get where you're coming from. Geo, three,
2: three, four years ago, I think when I started at MTD, we weren't talking about automation so much. And literally the past two years, and I think everything that we do now... We're talking about automation. Mm-hmm. And, and I've got a brilliant example here for you. One of our clients where we went to do
1: some um, filming for, um, he invested in his first robot. And it's a small um, subcontractor. They don't know what's coming through the door from one day to another. He invested in his first robot to free him up. So he's the owner of the company, but he's always also hands-on within the shop floor. They're located in, in Leicestershire, in a remote location in Leicestershire, where it's hard to employ mm-hmm. skilled engineers. So he he wants to grow his business, but he found it very difficult. He, he bought his first robot to run a lathe, um, and due to the success of that first installation, he invested in his second robot really? six months later to run a fifth-axis machine mm-hmm. for lower-volume subcontract work. So, again, you know, once well, – ne- that leads on to my next question really, Tom. What kind of case studies do you have once someone's actually – bit the bullet and said right I'm going to go into invest do you see a trend that from their first investment it just kind of oh, spirals sure. out of control
0: yeah yeah always um, I think probably 80% of the customers around here are repeat business it, once you've got automation you're not going to step back from it um, I think it's getting that message to customers like him that Hadn't had it before on the benefits of it. Once customers see the benefits, then it, it becomes it's a no-brainer. You you would have to automate going forward. Um, I think it is just getting that mindset of being able to take that jump. It's it's just a hard jump to take for some reason. We do seem to be a lot more conservative over here on our approach. To automation on two future technologies. I think the big problem I have is that the government have got some very great ideas on um, having an automation robotics business in the UK in 10, 15 years' time, and it's great. And there is some fantastic startup companies here doing some fantastic work. But if we're not using today's automation, why do we think we'll be able to use the automation in 15 years' time?
2: I don't understand why they're thinking about that so far ahead. I know,
0: that's too far I don't, ahead. That, that
2: just totally...
0: I think we need both strategies. I think we do need to think of, of, of where we need to be. I think, um, you know, if we're looking at space technology, if we're looking at some of the future technologies on where we get to, we do have to have a slightly longer term... But we still need to address today's Today? manufacturing for sure. We won't
2: get there if not. You we know, we'll lose there. the business yeah. to other places, or the countries, or yeah. the people. Yeah. No, I think
0: we're going to lose it to other countries that are automating, and that's yeah. that's a real danger. We're still sixty-five odd million people. We do have mm-hmm. to manufacture in this country, um, and as long as we, I mean, we're still what the fifth, sixth largest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. While that's happening, we need to manufacture, but we forgot about making things in this country.
2: Mm-hmm. I think Gio, you've got a lovely quote. Actually, I think you said it to me before the podcast about survival of people and uh, that kind of. That,
1: that, that was one of my facts at the end. But that yes, echo. I was going to think that up sorry, up at the Gio. end. But yeah, <laughs> effectively, yeah, the amount of you, human labour directly required for the survival of humanity will keep shrinking, thanks to automation. And I think, in, in my opinion, look, you know, we travel around and we visit companies, and we've been within the industry for many years as well. If people don't invest in the latest technology and um, keep investing, they won't won't be competitive at all. And they will actually close down. Mm -hmm. They won't exist anymore. Never mind, you know, competing globally. Their own business will kind of crumble. And I think that the people – it's so clear when you go out and do your visits. The people – You ask the first question when you go into any business a lot of the time, are you busy? Are you doing well? The people that usually answer, yes, we're busy, we're doing well, we're buying new machines, we're moving into a new facility, are the ones that are investing. It's as simple as Mm -hmm. that. Mm. You've got to have a
0: longer-term strategy, the same as the government really, but you need to be looking at where that business is going to be in five, ten years' time. You do need to invest and look forward.
2: And how are people investing? You know, what what, Are there new ways? Is is that... You know, is it, do I buy the robot the same way as I buy a machine tool? How does it all work?
0: I mean, the the hard bit about automation is the funding of automation because it's not known. I mean, a lot of people, um, if they're using finance houses, it's a a very traditional model to to be able to finance a machine tool. Mm -hmm. Financing automation is a lot more difficult because people you know, the the, the the lenders of the money don't have an appreciation of what automation is, so it's very difficult to get it. Um, we need to make that case a lot clearer to the finances of how it's doing, so that's something we're trying to put together, and, and I'm going to encourage some of our clients um, our- other competitors in this market to do the same. We're gonna do it, try and do it through the B A R A is is put the case together for how you can finance automation. It is still a product at the end of the day, it's always gonna have a residual like value. So how improvements do, do improvements
2: of cost per part, that kind yeah. of thing.
0: Um and, and what you can get out of it. So how how can a finance house give somebody X amount of money to do an automation cell? A lot of people want to look at mean time between failures, mean time to repair, all the other information that goes with technology, but unless you can finance it in the first place, that's the difficult bit. There is also models that are coming around the world now on treating automation as a paid employee. Um, So pay per part, pay per well, pay per pick. Um, So that rather than seeing it as just a capital investment, you're seeing it as part of your output you're seeing it as a worker and and that might be an easier model to finance because then you can say we're going to produce twenty thousand parts a week this robot or this part will be using that and then you can see per pick um that's happening in in other countries it hasn't really taken off over here yet but i can see it as being a viable model um so that is probably a way of of, of getting through to there as well
1: treating um a robot as in and as an employee is that Uh, dangerous territory. Would the government look to to tax the robots? It
0: has been muted. or It it has been mooted rather. Um, I I don't think it's a very smart idea. It came originally the first time I heard that was out of Bill Gates in in America which is definitely a case of uh, poacher turning gamekeeper for him to start Mm. taxing technology. Um, And it was mentioned over here. I I think Jeremy Corbyn mentioned it a few times. Um, It's not a good idea. I mean you don't tax your hammer and a robot is still a <laughs> yeah. tool the same yeah. as everything else um, tax output, tax growth, that's, that's yeah. the way to do it taxing a robot just makes no sense, it, it just why would you, what are you going to do, tax the electricity <laughs> that <the> uses <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know everything is just a tool, A ro- at the end of the day all automation is a tool it might be a sophisticated tool, it might be quite a clever tool, it's still a tool
1: Let's take things to the next level then so hopefully, you know the UK in 2020 will start embracing automation mm-hmm. to a different level that it's done maybe in the past. Now, there's lots of new technologies as well as automation, artificial intelligence. I mean, we were uh, we were at Emo and we had yeah. some fantastic, fascinating conversations. Blew my mind. Um, <laughs> how is that going to affect automation? And what is FANUC got in place? Um, what can you tell us about this?
0: I mean, FANUC, we, we have our own um, tool. We have... Um, a field system, which is a FANUC intelligent edge link device for connecting all of the machines together. Um, It's our IoT offering. So FANUC believe that the place to have most of the data gathered is on the shop floor. I mean, everybody seems to want to send data up to the cloud for some reason. Um, it, It makes no sense. Where you need that data is on the shop floor. It needs to be pragmatic data that you can use. So FANUC have, have got their own package now which can link anybody's tools together, anybody's devices together, anybody's other products, whatever you want and collect all the data. I mean, that, the, the big bit now is data collection. That's, yeah. that's what everybody needs. Um, but it's collecting the right data and using the data. There's no point collecting terabytes of data and only using one gig of it. You know, you need to to use what you're collecting and know what you're collecting. So I think a lot of it, We don't want people jumping on the bandwagon just saying they need this IoT offering and need to collect all the data unless you know what you're doing with it. So we're trying to educate people on what they need, how they need it, the traceability that they need. Excuse me, FANUC are using it more ourselves. We connect all of our machines together in our factory so that we know what's running 24-7, which machines are are causing any issues, how to predict failures because we build the whole product ourselves. We obviously have the full model of what that robot is. So we're able to predict failures. So we're able to now start replacing parts before they may fail or stopping problems before they occur. The idea is to keep that machine running 24-7. Keep
2: the spindles again, turning.
1: Again, mm-hmm. fascinating. I think, again, you know, it really illustrates why young engineers sh- or potential engineers should be getting into this industry mm-hmm. it's, it's a fantastic industry Lindy any last
2: thoughts no no I'm, um, I'm thank you Tom no for, thank you for um joining us i think i think it is all about us investing in our futures and embracing what we've got today and not in what you're saying other people are saying 10 15 20 years time it is about today and the idea of robots i remember when we turned the you know the turn of the century it was like 2020 we'll all be on a spaceship and we'll all be flying high in the sky and no we're not there but robots is that first step and it is scary and it did, we did think it was a future but the future is happening now and a key to survival survival is investing in automation
1: definitely 100%. any last thoughts from you tom if people have listened to this podcast and you know they they want to get into an, uh, into automation but maybe they're just a little bit scared and they just need reassuring how, how should they get in touch
0: come and ask us we're happy to host this facility to allow anybody to come in to see the robots to see the CD automation to see what we've got I think let us answer your questions. I think we're happy to to send people to you. But the easiest place is if you are anywhere near Coventry, come in. We can show you what we've got. We can show you how easy it's to use. We can explain to you why you should invest. We can give you all of the data you need for return on investments. Meantime, between all of the information you need to be able to go with that case study to automate
1: Tom thank you very much for your time I'm going to summarise by quoting yourself um, and in the past you've actually said uh, oh sorry Lindsay I just kicked you uh, you've actually um, said um, can you afford to? can I afford to automate can you afford not to I think the key to this podcast is invest get your checkbooks out and become more profitable um, and you know kind of really embrace automation if you've got any questions from this podcast we can answer them in the next podcast so please subscribe to the podcast and let us know your thoughts thank you very much thank you you.
2: thanks for listening to the mtd podcast if you found value in this episode please subscribe and leave a rating and review find more episodes on mtdcnc.com